and welcome to another episode of Crit Club, a podcast where four friends pick a movie from the Criterion Channel streaming service that none of us have seen, and then we discuss it. I am Corey, and I am joined today by my friend Angela. Hi. And Peter. Hi, I'm Peter. I'm joined here. <laughs> and Wizard Chris. Yellow. Uh, so today's pick is a celluloid atrocity, a cavalcade of trash, 1970s John Waters movie, Multiple Maniacs, 50 years old. <laughs> uh, this film was uh, Waters' first talky motion picture. Uh, he had done a series of uh, short films and uh, feature length uh, movie that didn't uh, have, include any dialogue or whatever. So this is his first talky motion picture. And it features a cast of miscreants and perverts, lovingly referred to as the Dreamlanders, as they terrorize middle America with their perversions, succumb to their own infighting, and eventually devolve into chaos, murder, and madness. Uh, just a few heads up before we get started. Spoiler alert, as with any movie that we discuss here on Crit Club, uh, spoilers will abound. Uh, also, content warning, we will likely yeah. be discussing sexual assault and rape, as those are topics within this film. And one other heads up, uh, it seems that in his private life, uh, Divine used or preferred the he, him pronouns, while in the yeah. film, his character used she, her pronouns. Um, so just wanted to let you all know yeah. that. Thanks for mentioning that. I, I looked that up as well. Uh, I picked this film personally because John Waters has kind of always been a part of my life. I've seen most of his movies, uh, except for those prior to Pink Flamingos. Uh, but Pink Flamingos was sort of a, a staple of my childhood and uh, childhood teenage years. Uh, and many of the images and, and things and the casts and the people in it are sort of died into my brain for forever. So I don't necessarily love his movies, but I love that John Waters exists and that he is making the movie that he does. Uh, and while not everything that we watch on the uh, Crit Club podcast is uh, necessarily in the Criterion Collection, not everything on the streaming channel is, this one is in the Criterion Collection. It is number 863. And who wants to start us off? How about you, Angela? I am so excited about this movie because, um, like you, John Waters has been someone I've admired my almost my whole life. One of my first memories of cinema, actually, like, and I'm talking like six or seven years old, is going. That's too young to, to be watching a John Waters movie. Well, let me finish, <laughs> sir. Let me finish. Depends um, on the movie. Around the corner from my house, I would go to Milford Video to go to uh, rent movies with my dad, and one of the videos that was it in my childhood, like I eyesight, was Pink Flamingos. And I remember not knowing what it was, but hey, it was called Pink Flamingos. So it mm -hmm. should be sounds like... Sounds wholesome. Sounds wholesome. I show it to my dad. I'm like, let's rent this. And my dad's like, oh, hell no. And was like <laughs> completely mortified that I had picked it up. But it was like this yeah, beautiful... Yeah, I remember that cover being pretty... It was very teal like... blue and pink. It was very 80s colors. Um, and I was forever fascinated by this video box and i would look at it every time i was in that video store um and so i i love john waters and he's one of my heroes just the way that he breaks rules purposefully i don't want to hog all this conversation i have a mm. ton to say about john waters i have a john waters story to share i i can't wait do you have any well, no, but what did you think about this film yeah, what about um, this movie? So um, let me just say that I, in the spirit of breaking rules and John Waters and exper uh, experimenting, 
I chose to watch the version with the um, commentary from John Waters. I watched about like the first wow. shenanigans, way shenanigans, and <laughs> I'm here like, for it. Feel like there's some shenanigans to be called here. Uh... There are big time shenanigans, and um, but I think it will enrich our conversation for many different reasons. And I won't do this every single time, but um, I really am excited because I have a lot to say about this. I watched like the first twenty minutes without the commentary. But then, like, you know, someone like Corey, I think, was watching on my account and ended up watching it. And so I went to search for it again and just accidentally hit on the commentary. And I rewatched the first 20 minutes with the commentary. And I was like, I can't stop because I love John Waters so much. And his voice just makes me so happy. And learning these extra bits about the film I thought could facilitate the conversation. And then also comparing, like, watching a film without commentary and with commentary is is something interesting to discuss as well as the notion of the personal things that we bring to cinema viewing that I didn't necessarily do on this film because I was seeing it through the lens of the filmmaker so I know I broke some rules but I think John Waters would be proud well no but what did you <laughs> think of this movie uh I think that as a film it what I love um it's not it's it's an amazing first time narrative feature from a groundbreaking film director who I think has transformed America with his work and that he needed this work and he set people free um, by the simple effort of play with him and his friends on their own terms and recording it. Um, I love this film. Um, I think, you know, it's not the best film in the world. It's amateurish. Um, but it is a treasure, an American treasure, um, and uh, I adore it. I adore it. All right, <laughs> Wizard, first impressions. Oh, wow, man, this movie must have freaked out some squares for sure. <laughs> um, so uh, I thought it was amazing. Uh, I also I, John Waters was really really cool. I, I think the first John Waters movie I saw was Serial Mom of all things, which was really <laughs> yeah. really good. Kathleen Turner's nineteen amazing. like ninety four. Yeah, yeah yeah like about there. And then I remember seeing Crybaby on TV. Um, yeah. Iggy Pop was in it, and so I was like, oh, what's this about? And Johnny Depp's very <laughs> handsome and all that good stuff. Um, and then I've seen a couple of other John Waters movies since then. I have not seen this. Have you seen Pink Flamingos? Now. I haven't seen Pink Flamingos. Okay. I haven't um, either. I haven't either. Maybe we should watch it. Whoa! <laughs> I know. I never actually watched it. <laughs> so, so this movie, yeah, wow, wow. It is just like raw, like anarchic vision. Um, I am super glad that John Waters kept making movies. <laughs> um he's this movie is a it's a lot it is a lot and i loved it it is sleazy trash through and through um just uh, um the thing that struck me most after watching it is uh is i it didn't click with me that it was made in 1970 um Mm -hmm. there's something so incredibly like modern and like I don't know for good or for ill um something so like thoroughly modern in how it looks i mean obviously Uh like it's amateur it's amateurishly shot um framing is a real challenge like this movie has struck or not struck this movie has like 
problems with like craftsmanship, I guess, you know, or yeah. like an, like John Waters is doing everything on this movie. Um, except cutting. Except cutting. <laughs> because he didn't want to edit and waste wait, film. Like, <laughs> well, wait a minute. It turns out that the, the film stock that this film was recorded on, um, it's a rare kind of film stock where um, it's both the visual and it has a soundtrack on it. And so mm-hmm. you would have to run film for like 48 frames to catch the sound bef- um, and match it to the to the picture. So that's why there's a lot of space between stuff that happens in the film because they actually had to run it. And you're right, he wasn't cutting much. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, we'll just keep it in there. Yeah. It's a lot of but no, Chris, I know. I, I was watching this movie and I was like, man, this is like so punk rock. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this is a good six or seven years before punk rock. Like, yeah, like, it's it's really, really crazy. Like, I was really, really spun how by how modern the movie seemed, even, like, oh, wow. Um, yeah, I th- that's, that's, that's sort of, like, a, a good starting off point uh, for a conversation, I think. I really, really enjoyed this movie. I found it captivating, and I found it funny, and I found it deeply blasphemous and disturbing um it's the kind of movie where you have to like turn down your speakers um because you're worried your neighbors are gonna hear what you're watching um uh but that's uh that's john waters and uh and and yeah i i had a i had an incredible time with this one peter me out a little bit yeah so i've really enjoyed as we've all I've really enjoyed with Crit Club how, and I think it's been not really purposeful, but we've watched a lot of early first mm-hmm. efforts by directors. I think we've done a lot of that. Even mm-hmm. I think our first one before this, before we actually started recording them as a podcast, was Jim Jarmusch's Down by Law. Uh, and so I kind of, but I still include that into all this. I think I would say that Multiple Maniacs is my least favorite of all of the first directors, uh, things that we've done. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to wrap my head around it because, because I both agree and disagree with all of you. Like I think clearly I will be the the person who think who who this movie. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I I like this less than everyone probably, which is great. Fine. Um, and I I, I as I was editing the story or as I was editing uh, last week's podcast uh, Corey, you said something similar about john waters about how you really just love him as a person more than you'd loved his movies mm-hmm. and i think that's always been me because i feel like I've, i i counted again i've seen at least over half of his movies i think and i am just always for it always here for it they've never lasted they've never stuck with me but i'm just glad that it's a force you know i'm glad that he is a force and i'm glad that that these movies keep being made and i think the same of multiple maniacs i'm glad it exists very glad i got to see it um, I think it is more, over the years I've, I've created sort of rubrics in my head of things that are either timely, very timely, or timeless, and I think this movie is way more timely for me personally than it is timeless. I can absolutely see the impact. 1970 is crazy fucking early for this content, for this approach, for this, you know, I've read a lot about the upstart, um, uh, sort of young directors and how they were trying to to be punk rock and 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 independent with filmmaking uh in the through the 60s and this substance matter and approach is is definitely notable and definitely historical i 
think that there's a lot of pushing for pushing's sake. <laughs> I think there's a lot of shock for shock's sake. I think there's value to be had in that. Uh, but um, I don't know. It uh, didn't. It didn't grab me as much as I'd hoped. Uh, I liked the things scenes that I should have liked. Uh, you know, I feel like I liked the scenes I should have liked. I feel like I laughed where I should have laughed. Uh, I enjoy that it exists a lot more than I kind of enjoyed watching it. Uh-huh. Corey, what about you? Yeah, I. Um, it's funny because there is something about Divine particularly that is comforting to me. Um, his face, his voice, like hearing him talk, which I haven't watched a John Waters (laughs) movie in a long time, but like hearing him talk, it's like, oh, I remember, I remember that. Like, (laughs) just, I don't know. There's something very comforting about it. Um, this is a, it's a very raw movie. Uh, I think that it, uh, but it does all this stuff on purpose. Like, like you're, you know, you were talking about how it's like shocking for shocking sake and like, that that is what they were doing. I mean, it's the Definitely. you know cavalcade 100%. of perversion or whatever. They were doing it in order to do this because stuff like this wasn't done. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think that you know he was really doing groundbreaking cinema. Um, I <laughs> and, and I did watch some of the extras on this and, and um, yeah, I did too. I watched. I should have mentioned that. I did watch like the whole interview with all of the friends and yeah, all of the too. cast. It was in there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Didn't interrupt. And so I was, you know, one, it was, it was an interesting enlightenment on like the style of it where mm-hmm. like, um, as far as like words per minute, uh, this movie must rank really high. If you take out all the sort of you know, like yelling and screaming and moaning and all that stuff, because people are just like machine gunning <laughs> their dialogue and just like, bah, 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 bah. and it's really interesting, really written. Um, it's really like, it has this like clever tone, this, the, the, these interesting word choices and soliloquies and all that stuff. Um, and the, the various sort of odd intonations that people have, uh, but that's all purposeful. Like John wrote the scripts out and like mimeographed them. And he like read through exactly how he wanted people to deliver these things. And he did it. And there was like, and they were saying there was absolutely no ad libbing. Um, if you like mess up a line or did ad libbing, he would throw a fit and all that stuff. So this was very much because as I was watching this, I'm like, how much of this was ad libbed? How much of this was them making it up on the go and all stuff? And he might have been making it up on the go, people. But it was certainly intentional. In this movie, do I? There, pe- yeah. there are people flub lines constantly. Yeah, um, that's and true. He just keeps yeah. going. He just keeps going. Because there also aren't, as we said, there are not a lot of edits. I would push back a little bit on purposeful, as in this is like the exact vision that was. It was purposeful and like he was executing what he wanted to do given the level of craftsmanship that he was able to sure. do at the time, I imagine. I'll accept, yeah, and I'll also accept. the the shoestring budget. I mean, this was made for under $5,000. Uh, they didn't have money to waste on extra film to edit and all that stuff. So um, a lot of it is probably just, you know, art within constraints too. Um, there are some really memorable people and characters and scenes and all that stuff. And I was laughing you know, pretty often, but then there are scenes that just like drag and you're just like, why is this come yeah. on, move on. Uh, so I don't think it's like a perfect movie or anything like that, but I'm certainly glad that it exists. And I'm certainly glad that I watched it. 
I think it has like the like the it's like the raw beating heart of John Waters, uh, mm-hmm. like you know the un the unconstrained unconst- energy of him, um, and it takes some while for him to like focus that, direct it into his uh, his lightsaber. Yeah, not just him, but this whole group of people, the Dreamlanders, like they were yeah. they were all living together in this huge twenty two room like house, and they were just they were all just already a bunch of like weirdos and perverts and outcasts and queers and all that stuff. And they're just like, let's just make some art together. And they would just wrangle each other up and, and, you know, make these movies and stuff. It's <laughs> Why does that sound so familiar? <laughs> I, what are you referring to? Uh, we have a group of friends that we work with and do crazy art projects. Well, or, that's true. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, and actually, like, watching this film and watching how these people interacted together and almost seeing, like, the friendships that they had, you could almost intuit mm-hmm. that as they're making this film. It reminds me of, like, the, you know, some of our group of friends and some of the things that we all do together. I What I particularly loved was, like, seeing how much of, like, John Waters' neighborhood he used, especially mm-hmm. in, like, the first 20 minutes and like I don't know, you know, I know you guys are from Middle America, uh, Wizard. You're you're from from Canada. Toronto, Canada. Um, <laughs> I'm just curious, like, did you have a similar experience in childhood where you would have a, a group of kids and you would like run through each other's yards and have like these strange well, adventures? Because I just got that same feeling just watching this on tape, and it it felt familiar. Well, and Peter and I had a friend who was a filmmaker and would do pretty much the same thing. It's like, we're all hanging out at Denny's. Let's make a movie. You know, or like, hey, you know, call some people up, wrangle people together and yeah, make movies. Um, yeah, I feel like it happens a lot within that sort of, I mean, because even, you know, our friend's brother, because I, did you ever see the Macbeth that I was in? You know, we were kind of mm-hmm. always making longer movies that reminded me a lot of this. I got a lot of, of nostalgia out of this. Yeah. I particularly liked to um, you mentioned the, the opening scenes. Yeah. He said that this was filmed in his parents' front yard, <laughs> the, the whole tent thing. Uh, they really didn't have any idea what they were doing. Um, I really enjoyed seeing the dreamlanders play the straight people. <laughs> um, like, yeah. like seeing like mink stole pretending to be like this uptight. Ooh, what's going on? You know, per, you know, purse clutching, like pearl clutching person or whatever. Um, yeah, and then just this whole cavalcade of various perversions. I was just like, "Oh, okay, this is this is the movie. This is going to be." I, I I laughed out loud. And like, you know, he's going through the various things of you know the bicycle snippers and the armpit snippers, and then it was like, "See two actual queers kissing each other on the lips like lovers." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Cracked up. Like, and I feel no, no please, no. Angela, please. No, 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 no. your turn. Uh, nope. Um, I was gonna ask you guys, as um, former Catholics, what you thought of this film because there's a whole midsection of this movie around the Stations of the Cross and serious in-church blasphemy mm-hmm. um, of like you know in a way where apparently when they tried to get foreign distribution in Canada and uh, he sent the movie to Canada, he never heard back, and he wrote back to the Canadian board, and the only word that they sent back to him was destroyed. And he's like, that's the highest review and compliment yeah. I've ever gotten. I uh, I mean, that was my favorite part. I mean, from when the little kid takes her hand and leads her into the church and then, <laughs> you know, sodomy with a rosary and then 
the sort of like the very casual walk where she's explaining how she just <laughs> has sex with people in church. Yeah, that was my favorite. Yeah, like that that section, those three little scenes were my favorite part of this <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, I mean, th- and those are definitely the parts that are going to stick in my head. Um, in the yes. like cast interviews, a number of them, and there was Mink Stoll kind of goes into like more more of it, but a number of them are just kind of like talking about how you know abusive and you know beaten down being raised in the Catholic church is and how it just, you know, really negatively affects your life. And so Mink Stoll was like, this was cathartic. This was like, it felt great to be able to like, you know, stick it to this like institution that like really messed up my psyche. And boy, can I identify with that? So. And I can't, I guess. And like, well, I mean, like, and I guess like it was, it was very clear this like raging against that, which where I don't feel that. And I don't feel, I don't feel that. I don't feel the necessity to do that. And mm. so I, yeah, I couldn't connect with that. But yeah, that, that like middle part was great. But I also just loved that middle part because I thought it was, ex- I thought it was contemplative and interesting while smutty uh, in a really fun way. Like it was like really fun smut mm-hmm. while also being like really playfully uh um what's the word uh, uh sacrosanct transgressive the, you know blasphemous uh, sacrilegious yeah, blasphemous. yeah. very <laughs> being playfully playfully blasphemous playfully smutty uh <laughs> the little boy <laughs> just yeah like all like everything about that was just like very lovely and playful i i got a lot out of that i they also i mean i also felt that uh, a, that's called a rose a rosary job apparently yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude is getting a rosary job. Nice. Uh, it was also, um, I also felt like, because uh, it kept going, like the whole Stations of the Cross and all, like it kept going and going and going. And like the way that the, um, you know, I guess they switched turns narrating and stuff. Again, it was that machine gun just like blasting these words out and just going and not breathing and not stopping. Like I was yeah. almost, it was almost feeling manic to me. Like, mm. I don't know. It, it is very manic and it does go on it's one of those scenes where i'm like i i i'm like into this it's audacious and it's pervy and it's fun yeah um but i get it i i got you john um <laughs> but also like black moon like when i was watching black moon i'm like is there a code here is there any like immediately yeah. i was like there is no symbolism there is no deeper meaning to any well, of this stuff really. but i think there is i definitely think there is really multiple, like i i completely disagree and like also okay. with as well as black moon i think it was just kind of very on the nose and i was like okay i get it we are all multiple maniacs because that's <laughs> that's the whole message of it right is that like because you've got like jesus and the fishes how they all turn to maniacs mm-hmm. about like going against Christ, how they all turn to maniacs, how all the murder happens around, and then the very end where everybody gangs up and is wanting to kill Divine. Like, okay, I get it. We are the multiple maniacs. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> all right. Good job. Good job, 1970s. Which, again, in 1970, is very historically, like, that's that's righteously interesting. Like, that's, that's, that's uh, violent and aggressive, and I'm 100% here for it. Uh, it 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 didn't hit me that hard 50 years later some of the, some of the stuff especially with the stations of the cross uh the rosary scene like i see like i see the execution of art for art's sake like you gotta see it through to the end like if you're gonna do a scene where where one character uh is penetrated with a rosary while reciting the stations of the cross you gotta do all of the stations of the cross but as like a film yeah i was like i was kind of like all right i 
well, did you all? Because I, I had these, I had multiple thoughts again and again about this movie, about how very close it was to an experimental art film that you would see in a in a museum. You know, I, I and I I I don't often see that thin line so blurred between narrative movie and this is somebody something I would, you know, very I feel like I would very easily see it in an exhibit space, in a MoMA space. Uh, and I think that there were a lot, there was a lot to this movie that I felt was very much experiential rather than narrative. Mm-hmm. Of you're supposed to sit in it rather than go through a whole plot. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I feel like the, the plot was almost secondary to just, you know, having as much strange stuff packed in as they could. Let's discuss the plot, though, because I think that's kind of important. So, like, part of this part of this is that, like, it takes place within the background of, like, this takes place within the context of the Manson family murders. Right. Um, yes. Like, literally, like, within, like, days or weeks, like, to the point where, like, they're not, yeah, this is after the, after Sharon Tate has been murdered, but before they've caught uh, Tex Watson and everybody else who was involved uh, in the, in the thing. Um, Wait, I'm sorry, for clarity, Chris, do you mean, because I, I don't think I put together how close these were chronologically, do you mean that the story itself and the film took place that recently, or the filming of it, it took place that chronologically recent the this within the like the the story within the film takes place Mm -hmm. like during the days of the Mm -hmm. of the manson family murders uh i couldn't speak no not like they would have been angela sorry Um, angela's got her hand up um actually john waters talks at length about this that um when he started filming they didn't know like they were looking for sharon tate's killers and so Mm -hmm. the plot was reasonable that like maybe this guy was one of them but then as they were continuing to film into 1970, they started in 1969, um, they actually like found out and he, he has the newspaper in the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he had to invent this whole scene where he realizes that he didn't kill Sharon Tate. I love that. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that a lot. Thank you for clarifying yeah, that. And that was those, a good one. Those murders took place in like August 1969. And at one point in the bar... Like in the bar scene in Edie's bar, there's a, a calendar. I, I forget what it was, but it was like late 1969. It was like September, November. October, or November. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was like right after. That's fascinating because like what what like John Waters is doing is he does this with a lot of his movies uh, that I can think of is he's like telling a story about like a family of like misfits and reprobates and perverts and weirdos, um, and. You know, in this movie, he's taking that that group of people and he's kind of portraying them. He's kind of like created like, you know, this is this is what conservatives think that um, that we do kind of vision. You know, he's kind of created this family. He's like, this is what conservatives think we do. We like we eat puke and like, oh, we're like monsters (laughs) and this and that. and like he's doing all this and then it's taking taking place in the context in the context of this other group in like reality um this other group of like misfits and hippies who are legitimately violent and dangerous um and i think it's fascinating that like those of filming this and those events took place so close together that's really Mm -hmm. really interesting I'm, i'm glad we know that yeah there was a funny thing you guys mentioned about how the aesthetic of this was so punk rock and John Waters was talking about how he and his friends were very left wing and liberal, 
and that they didn't really feel like they fit into that, like that they were so far left that mm-hmm. um, that uh, they weren't really embraced. And in fact, like Divine's dad was like, you know, you should go to some of those protests. And and Divine's like, no, nah, I'd rather stay at home and read movie magazines. Um, and another note is that I was watching this and my son, who's almost 11, walked in. And fortunately, it was in like one of the non-horrible moments. And um, he's like, wow, I, I really... No, it, it was just in between horrible parts and he could see the outfits people were wearing and he was like, wow, mom, this film looks so modern, but like, I, I really like what people are wearing. They they did it in black and white to make it look old, but it really does look like people from today. And I, I just didn't say anything to him. I, I had the exact same reaction, um, especially a lot of their costumes and stuff um, during the cavalcade of perversion and stuff. I mm-hmm. thought they looked great. <laughs> it looked hell yeah. Like, oh, yep. hell yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I also about the politics. I think it's interesting because I want to circle back around to the politics mm-hmm. in this a little later. But I think it is notable that they have someone that is at least revered by some characters as a member of the underground, as a member of like the Weather mm-hmm. Underground, you oh, know, right. SDS. You know, and I think that's you know I think that speaks a lot to being more left than protests being more on, on the violent side of, of actual radical overthrow of government. Right. But he wasn't exactly like a hero or anything like that. There were, no, I feel, I feel like they no. were just poking fun at like basically everybody. You thought there was a poking fun of, because I thought it was just like, uh, I don't know. Cause cookie seemed like, you know, cause divine loved cookie and cookie loved that dude. And mm. so I didn't see like there was a, I didn't get the sense that they were lampooning that dude for being part of the underground. I think it was, if anything, it was just, you know, some high dude who is like, oh, yeah, I'm in the underground. <laughs> they really did want to lampoon hippies, though. Like, even though they had, like, long hair and stuff, there was a lot of the hippie movement that they didn't really agree with. Um, and so, um, and John Waters was saying how he identifies more with punk rock, but that, indeed, it was, like, you know, almost a whole decade before that really caught in, into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. It's it's so striking to me that this was 1970, and I mean, like, and it seems like honestly, the more I think about it, in terms of just even American history, it seems right in line with 1970, right? Of like the end of the 60s, the yeah. end of the hippies, like the rise of yippies and Black Panthers, and all sorts of even further left counterculturing, like unhappy with any sort of change that happened during that decade and just trying to push boundaries further Mm -hmm. you thought these were boundaries pushed in the 60s fuck you here's a lobster (laughs) (laughs) lobster lobstora lobstora my goodness i Um, I mean do we want to talk about some of that stuff i mean there's i mean this this movie takes place i guess in like a day in like I don't know a, maybe a twenty four hour period or something like that and maybe twenty four hours yeah yeah and I More guess like thirty five minutes everybody everybody's everybody's <laughs> taking so much dope um, it's hard to tell it's hard to tell what time it is or, or what's rosary. going on taking so much or dope just or taking rosary. so much rosary right. Ooh, sharp um, <laughs> yeah I don't know what did you like I I think I saw lobster on the credits at the very beginning. And well, then when it, it happened, it, it's I not so much that it's some it's the um the the playing of, of rape for the the, the plot purposes yep. um and there you we know, go. I guess in the middle yep. there we go where the the you know, gas huffers you know or the the you know yep. glue huffers or whatever and then like 
Divine just gets raped again by a lobster. Yep. <laughs> it's just like by a giant lobster. Yeah. Um, yeah. I laughed at the lobster until I realized what was happening. Yeah. And I, I stopped laughing. I thought she was being attacked by the lobster. I was like, okay, so and then she's attacked by a giant lobster that is like a manifestation of her madness or something, and she dies. So I was like, that's funny. Um, but then it kept going, and the lobster started gyrating, and I was like. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, uh, and then the movie goes on, and we could talk about that, but let's stay with the lobster for a moment. Well, this is well, a, I guess a shocking film. It's meant to shock. I guess. And I, I, don't I think was shocked, certainly. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's striking that even in this day and age where we've, you know, a lot of this stuff that we saw in that movie is pretty normal. Like, even, you know, male to male kissing, it happens all the time, and thank goodness for that. Um, and,. But we are still, thankfully, uh, shocked when we see any rape, even when it's an anthropomorphic lobster. So it could be argued that even though we are exposed to more smut, and we've grown up in in a time of smut, that we still have morals, right? Like, we have Mm. a limit where maybe that lobster rape wasn't necessarily something we needed to see. That's (laughs) what I'm hearing from you guys. Like, I wrote down, and I don't know... And this isn't something I believe. I wrote down, I, I think I just want to, to proffer it up for a conversation. But I wrote down the word privilege mm-hmm. because I feel like the, the depiction of rape felt very, very, felt very separated from it. And it's not that I expect John Waters to be, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it was just something like the, their, their um, depiction of, of rape and abuse in this seemed to be played to push boundaries or to really to to really fuck you up on purpose without without considering it and i felt that would be here here's my my kindest thing i I can think about that i do believe is i felt like that was an immature approach to showing that um and and i well i mean god immature the whole movie's immature (laughs) but um yes 100 i think my thing with it was i think it, it it ended up just feeling amateurish and lazy um and lazy too I would like lazy. A, a lot of the shocking things in it like you know bicycle sniffers and underarm sniffers and then like having <laughs> a you know a three ring circus where one of the main attractions is a guy detoxing off heroin i mean that these are funny <laughs> oh like it's That's like funny. it's creative um and funny like making out with the bicycle seat was yeah like, <laughs> oh, oh, man so good <laughs> i enjoyed that um but they're at least like creative but then having like two scenes like that in it just felt like you know uh what a young person thinks is shocking i guess i don't know i, I would have been happy i guess maybe not well, i don't would have been happy but like if i was going to eliminate one i would just just keep the lobster i guess you know? definitely <laughs> keep the lobster although the uh the initial one with the glue sniffers i suppose drives the plot in a game of thronesy kind of yeah. way well. Exactly, Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. I'm starting to look at the B-52 song Rock Lobster in a whole new way. Oh, God. Uh... It's sad because it's one of my favorite songs in the whole world. That's why it's song. vaguely menacing. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um, so one of the questions that I was thinking of when I was watching this was, would this movie have made it to the Criterion Collection if John Waters never made another movie after this? I think it faster, quicker it would have. Really? Maybe. Well, I mean, that, that all depends, right? Like, what 
who would picked it up who would have picked it up as a is this are we talking about is this like a nick drake pink moon thing where mm. it started circling around <laughs> the 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 reels were passed from person to person and it turned into you know something i i think that's a pretty difficult hypothetical mm -hmm. but i think so like i, I think I, I but i also and here's where i don't know i don't know what other films or what other filmmakers were working right then who aren't notified or aren't recognized as much as they should be. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, and I, this movie made me want to know a lot more about black exploitation cinema in, or not black exploitation, just exploitation cinema in general. Mm -hmm. Like the history of, I would take a whole college course just on exploitation films of the Genesis and how they got more into the, because I'm sure they've been around since film, since, you know, Lumiere brothers, but. Mm. Right. I, and, I take uh, that class with you. Yay. <laughs> and um uh, the, the movie that he made right before this was uh it's a long uh long form but it didn't have much dialogue because they i guess couldn't have the sound done for it or whatever but there was mondo trasho and i guess mondo is this whole its own genre of like shockumentary documentary type stuff where it's you know these documentary about you know shocking or illicit or sensational type you know subjects and stuff uh, so that yeah that seems like a interesting thing to like dive into like who who is making these mondo films that inspired mondo trasho you know back in the day i mean because you look at the 70s and the 70s cinema is marked with this right marked with with exploitation mm -hmm. and and even the most popular films are pushing some boundaries to mainstream audiences. The, the stuff that Mr. Corsese did, like the Giallo films, you know, all of this stuff is is really going dark and gritty uh, in a in a real uh, DC universe kind of way. Yeah, I guess this is like the play version of that. Then um, this is exploring those lure, like obviously, like exploring those lure themes, as Angela said, is like a playful like expression like this movie so damn goofy man um at first i hated that the movie went on uh past the uh the the lobster thing um like divine's rampage like mm -hmm. just godzilla rampage at first i was like <laughs> uh, and then it kept going and you know it was one of those things that went on for so long i was like no this is funny and then the national guard comes in and like guns her down um oh. It was it, it it like at first I like it it's one it won me over with its insistence that like no this is this this bit is funny. Um, she narrates as she's dying. She narrates her uh, her that she's gonna like be Godzilla, and then she gets to do it in real life, and it's so great, uh, <laughs> so goofy, and so like yeah so playful and fun despite dealing in like deep trash like this movie is sleazy as fuck and, and i a lot of my favorite moments with it weren't even the big bombastic shocking things there were like these little small things in it that were uh just hilarious to me um some of them that came to mind i think it was mink stole in the um uh in the church where she was just talking about like how she just like found this like old lady on the bus and who had like and she just felt bad for her and had sex with her or whatever. No, so oh no, it was the woman. Mr., uh, it was Mr. Uh, David's. Yeah, David's uh, lover. That's right. Lady, yeah, lady she's like I just I wasn't so I didn't sleep with anyone else. I just found an old lady on the bus and I felt bad for her. So I, I had let sex her. With, you know, I was like that's hilarious. Um, like you do. The um, 
there was just like this one point where Divine comes in and like points to the guy on the couch. He's like, what do you think you're doing? He's like, lying here on the couch, relaxing and smoking dope. I'm like, that's, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. And that's what he does. <laughs> I think the thing that made me like laugh the hardest and I had to go back and rewatch it was, uh, and it's all in Divine's delivery of this. But um, she's so, or he's so good. Yeah, it's like uh, someone's like uh, talking about Cookie, and they're like, "Isn't isn't she supposed to be in school? Why isn't she in school?" And he's like, "I told her to quit, and she did." <laughs> <laughs> and that's so John Waters, yeah. right? And that's so John Waters. Yeah. I yeah I I don't I don't know why I'm wrestling with this movie so much because there's so many things like that where I just so many things that happened, and a lot of them were dialogue where I absolutely very clear, clearly see John Waters and I immediately am fond of it. Immediately, like, my heart grew three sizes with every word where I'm like, what a John Waters line. Like, um, Mr. George, what, whatever, the, the other woman, when she repeatedly says, I just want to do acts with uh, you. Yeah, I just want to do acts with you. And, I mean, she says it 17, 18 times and I, you know, smiled every time because I just thought it was so fucking funny. Because it was wa- very John Waters. Sorry, I want please. to incorporate this vernacular into our, mm-hmm. our lives. Like, I just want to do acts with you is one of them. Another one is, why don't you go it's, and get yourself a sandwich? It's already been it's already been integrated into our households. I love surprised. you so much I could shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. The biggest laugh. That was the so biggest good. laugh. I'd forgotten about that line. Thank you. God. Because it's delivered with that john Waters sincerity i right? love you so much i could shit <laughs> yeah, just just like there's steven spielberg awe face there's john Waters sincerity mm-hmm. it's like it's like seeing the 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 brontosauruses for the first time uh well, from I, the back of the spe- jeep speaking of this i want to i want to ask you all about about john waters i want to hear angela's john waters stories and i a story and i want to know how this movie fits in with the rest of your knowledge of his films. Angela, what's your John Waters story? Oh boy. Um, so uh, back in 2010, uh, Chris and I took 10 month old Nate Hawkabout, my kid, uh, to Lake Tahoe for a week. And uh, we were we drove home and we're driving home and, and it's kind of drizzly and rainy. And as I'm driving, I swear to God, I see John Waters like standing in some bushes under like a billboard or something looking really sad and as we i turned to chris and i go wasn't that john waters and chris was like i don't know what you're talking about and i was like i swear to god i just saw john waters standing by the road and i was like maybe we should turn around it's raining but chris was like no we're you we're not doing that and i was thinking i'm like well john waters probably wouldn't like to hang out with a teething 10 month old And so for a long time, I was like, what the hell just happened there? Why am I seeing John Waters on the side of the road? And like a year and a half to two years later, he comes out with his book about how he hitchhiked across America. And I kicked myself because I did not pick up John Waters on the side of the road for a hitchhiking (laughs) book. And it is it is my biggest regret in life. Like, seriously, like when they say, you know, Angela, you're on your deathbed. What's what's the thing you regret the most? I'm gonna say. <laughs> Did not. I never picked up John Waters <laughs> on the side of the road, um, and so um, instead he picked up a very nice couple, um, and he writes all about it. 
but that's my big missed John Waters opportunity. I were you able to? Did you do you did you find where he where you missed him you in the book? Picked up in that link in the, in, the, in the chain where you could have been. Um, I don't know exactly where it was. Like it was somewhere, you know, between uh, Incline Village or not Incline Village, but um, on the edge of uh, California, Nevada, on the south side. Um, all the way maybe it was off of route 50 or something I don't know but I, it was hilarious at the time because I was like I am nursing a child it has been many many moons since I've even had a drink of alcohol and so it was a little disturbing to me I'm like is this another manifestation of postpartum depression um John Waters just appears well, I, I also right? have a, a John Waters missed connection um so okay. yeah, uh, before for COVID, um, so for years, John Waters has hosted a uh, two-day punk rock show here in Oakland called Burger Boogaloo, which they are changing the name now because of Burger Records and no. their whole Me Too stuff that came out. Um, oh, yeah. I thought Wait, the Boogaloo was, boys oh, had yeah. won. Yeah. I thought the Boogaloo <laughs> was I was like, don't let those reason. bastards it, it should, win. Yeah, it should just the whole name needs to get changed now. It's all been tainted. Um, it's heavy. And it's... It, it, yeah, it's Trump all trashy right? and not for good trashy Sorry. reasons. Um, but they, they are going to be renaming it. Um, but he hosted this this show, and I had never gone. Um, I just always kind of like passed it up or whatever. But then this year there was going to be Pansy Division, Bikini Kill, and Circle Jerks. And I was like, yes, I'm going to go. Bought tickets. Wow. Uh, I mean, these are bands that I have loved my entire life Bleachers. and never thought I would ever get to see live. Um, and Yeah. What happened? Same. And then. Wow. COVID-19 happened. Uh, yeah. What? <laughs> and, and they haven't refunded our money. They just keep postponing it and postponing it and postponing it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, hopefully I will be able to see him MC this show at some point in the future. I would go. I think you, you had organized some people to go to that and I would totally, because Bleachers was going to play that mm. as well. And in a previous concert, he hosted Devo, mm. which is like my biggest band on a, on my biggest bucket list is to see Devo. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also does a Christmas sing-along or some sort of Christmas hosting thing in the Bay Area, which I've missed and I've been wanting to go to. We should make this stuff a priority. I, I would see that. I don't like Christmas, but I would go see that. Right. A John's Waters Christmas has got to be our kind yeah, of Christmas. That's true. <laughs> Um, anybody else have any John Waters stories? I did want to talk about the film just a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, no, go for um, it. Yeah. I, I was also just watching this, and I was just wondering, wh- where do you all think this fits into queer cinema? Does it? Oh, my goodness. You couldn't have other queer cinema without this. And um, it's just impacted queer culture in itself so much that a lot of the stuff that happens in John Waters movies are just like instant vernacular um, that people refer to back and forth in other queer movies. Um, and I think as he, he mentioned it too, that like before he came along, like you never saw a penis on screen, mm-hmm. you never saw a whole bunch of things. And so, you know, someone always has to break down those barriers. And I feel like he, he has been the hero of queer cinema um, going back to that. I mean, I can't think of a movie um, even in the 80s where you just had like two men gloriously tonguing each other 
Um, that was just awesome. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Where, what do you think, Corey? Where do you think? No, I mean, I definitely think it, it broke a lot of ground, um, broke down a lot of barriers. Um, for some, I, I, I feel that Pink Flamingos is still shocking and bizarre and super on the nose trashy. I feel like it's more accessible, though. Like, as a film, as watching it. Mm. I think they probably had a higher budget and there was just more, you know, editing or whatever going on with it. Um, the yeah. rawness is is I, a big hump yeah, to so get I feel, over. I feel like um, that gets more of the iconic status for a lot of this stuff. Um, but it, it's interesting to see this, like, almost as, a, like, a, a proto, like, thing. A, a thing that, like, you know, eventually gave birth to, you know, Pink Flamingos. And I don't feel like I know enough about early queer cinema to know sort of, I think this is also my question about exploitation movies and the sort of independent cinema, the independent film that was happening at this time, I feel pretty ignorant about, right? And that's, I think, what I want to know more about because I I don't know if there were other, because this was in Baltimore. Were there other people in LA or New New York? Were there other people throughout around the world? trying to spearhead their own sort of things that also helped inspire John Waters to this. I I don't, so I don't feel like I have a lot of knowledge about that. That being said, I think it's, I think it's, it's extremely clear to see the impact of multiple maniacs and John Waters on totally fucked up our Mm -hmm. episode one, right? Like those two movies seem, I think, what were they? 22 years, 23 or 24 years apart. Uh, and it, it, it's, it seems like a direct outgrowth mm-hmm. of that uh, in, a, in a really, um, uh, yeah, in, in, a, in, a, in a really wonderful way to, to find the link between those. That's actually, that's an interesting point, Peter. Um, like the, the, the difference is, if the, I guess the biggest difference is that like, you know, this is done, this is done right at the beginning. We are doing carnival sideshow version yes. of queerness. Um, we are doing, we are doing like, we are doing like you are the audience. We are assuming the audience are a bunch of squares and what they want to see are, are us like behaving like animals and like destroying ourselves. Um, and then totally fucked up. We see it's like much more naturalistic, like, oh, like things are fucked up anyways, because the world is mean and shitty. Um, exactly. It's, it's ownership. I feel like there's a lot of ownership and, and totally fucked up that you couldn't have gotten without, Without the exploration, without the the without the without highlighting, pa- satirizing the ridicule that they were facing. I in think that we're, we're also um, like now seeing a lot more representation of you know media groups. I think you know, I don't know. Lo- looking back from a, a macro level, you know the the powers that be won't give us any actual material gains, but they will you know give people um, you know some performative you know inclusion, um, which you know is problematic for its own reasons um but there there is more uh intention i think a lot in media to show representation but like most of it is like positive representation and it's you know inclusion and you know whereas this is i don't know i don't know if i want to say like negative representation but like it's certainly showing some it's showing the queers and the weirdos and the perverts being horrible and villainous or whatever which is which is also i feel like all of that's done with a tongue-in-cheek 
you know, this movie uh, is so relentless. It is tongue in cheek, but the but the, but like, the people who are going to so get cheerful. that it's tongue in cheek, I think, are already on your side. I'm wondering if it just plays into exactly, you know. And you're trying to spook the so. squares, right? You're trying to spook the squares because, in their at least what I it seemed to me in their mind, they're never going to accept you anyway. So let's sure. spook them hard. So let's you know, uh, and I that seems yeah that seems mm-hmm. I get that. It's a noble goal, and I think that yeah, as like a culture bomb, this thing is you know <laughs> it's it's badass. That's a that's a good way to I like that. That's a good way to think of it. It's a, it's a culture bomb. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Do we have any other thoughts hmm. about this film? I think I'm left with uh, whenever it started. I really loved the idea of it as a sideshow and as a carnival barker, and it seems. You know, John Waters seems like a carnival barker sideshow person. Uh, uh, very proud of his his show and all of his players and everything that come out of it. Uh, I wish it would have uh, impacted me more because I feel like I left it just left a sideshow. I feel like it it had all of the sort of artistic weight of a. Of How a would it have impacted you if you saw I, it I at, at eighteen? Oh I would yeah I would have loved the hell out of it. It would have been yeah for sure 18 year old me would have would have absolutely loved it. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But th- but then that gets back to my whole thing of timeliness versus timelessness because I can think of things that I've seen this year that I would have loved when I was 18 and I fucking loved, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm this age. Um and I uh I don't know, I think this is a immature punk rock ass movie that needed to be made and uh was for an audience um and i'm glad i got to see it and i'm glad it exists i don't know cool anybody else have any closing thoughts Ooh, one of my favorite parts was definitely the beginning of the film because having that that sideshow at the beginning was almost suggestive like that this whole movie is a Mm sideshow like because it doesn't really go back to anything about that at the end Um, so I don't know. I just appreciated it from that mm-hmm. perspective. Cool. Corey, what do you, what do you, is this your favorite John Waters movie now? Or I'm having a difficult time landing or, or seeing how you feel. No, I think, I think Pink Flamingos you, is probably you, always going to be my fun? favorite John Waters movie. Well, did this, what do you, do you want to get to, do you want to get to ratings other? and you can learn where I, what I am thinking about it? <laughs> well, well. I would love to ask you and anybody else where you think this fits in in terms of his pantheon. What do you? Well, it's interesting because I, I feel like I his career, which he has not made a lot of movies, and and he hasn't even made a movie yeah. in like sixteen years. Uh, and and you just like look at you know starting in the sixties to now, like he just has not been a very prolific filmmaker. Um, but the trajectory has tended towards like accessibility. Uh, I haven't seen his latest movie, which what is it? Like a yeah, Dirty Shame. Dirty Shame with Johnny Knoxville and yeah, which I've seen it. It's don't worry about it. <laughs> but, yeah, it was it was it was yeah, it was, it was a, a lot of dumb fun. But that seems like it. He was maybe trying to go back to some of the trashiness. Is that accurate? I mean, I think I saw it in the theaters and Baxter Avenue theaters in Louisville, Kentucky, in like two thousand four, two thousand five, when it came out. Uh, and I remember enjoying it, but it, it did not stick with me. I, I don't remember disliking it. But because 
yeah, I mean, left, you know, lasting impact. from what I've read, it seems like it's it's trying to be a little more shocking and whatever, you know. Uh, but like a lot of his movies were just tending towards accessibility. I mean, polyester was still sort of weird early '80s, and there was like a little bit about like fetishes and stuff in it, but it was still. I don't know, not this. It was not like just super shocking to be shocking. And then Hairspray and like Crybaby and Serial Mom, these are all very like accessible movies. And um, I don't know. Uh, it's been a long time. I don't remember Pecker or Cecil B. Demented very much, but I, I don't remember Cecil B. Demented being that demented. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like he, he sort of tended towards, you know, um, becoming more accessible. Uh, but it makes me want to go back and watch these shorts, like these like 1960s, you know, black and white shorts or whatever. Um, and like Mondo Trasho, I've never seen Mondo Trasho. I think Mondo Trasho is very hard to find. Like you can't find a good copy of it because they don't have the music rights for it. So it's never really like been re-released. So that might take some digging. I'm sure there's bootleg versions of it around somewhere. Bootleggers, get in touch. Send us a copy of this. <laughs> Putting that out there into the universe. Bootleggers. <laughs> do we want to hit? Uh, do we want to hit our our scores? Yeah, I'm ready to. I'm ready to score. I'm ready to rate. Uh, so on this show, uh, we rate things from one to twenty as a nod to our D and D roots. And uh, these are personal scores, so they are not trying to talk about anything about the objective quality of the film necessarily they are phenomenological they're 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 from your first person and from your heart how you feel about the movie so who wants to get us started with the ratings how about a production how about an impromptu production meeting where i had a thought <laughs> last time where it should be the exact order of who gives their thoughts at the very beginning and so we just sort of repeat that order. Sure. Who did I call on? I don't remember. <laughs> Tight. Which would, which would leave I believe Angela. I wrote it down. Angela, okay. if you want to score first, how do you feel about that? Uh, I'm going to give this a 17 for just the chutzpah it takes to be confident enough with yourself, not just to rally your friends to make a film, but to rally your friends to make a movie that is so transgressive that it, it transforms american cinema and american history now this admittedly is a first film a first feature and so you know we only have the benefit of of hindsight to see just how much it changed things because at the time it was so difficult to even show that i'm sure at the time you know people didn't think it was as impactful but i mean it opened the door for the other films um i think um more i like the a world where people feel empowered to just go and make art no matter what experience they have uh and i just think it's it's really fun to watch it's super silly it gets boring in some places but um it, it's a microcosm of 1969 1970 and it helps me understand that era and i'm imagining you know my parents were in college at this time just beginning college and so it's kind of interesting to understand that my parents were kind of in this age group of people who are on this, this show. Um, so I think it's, it's instructive for people of our generation. And um, I think it's, it's required viewing. My final thought on this is the only person I want to make a Donald Trump biopic is John Waters. <laughs> oh, of course. That would be fun. That would be a lot of yeah. fun. 
That would be like the only time reason <laughs> I would watch that. Exactly right. Cool. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm go. Yeah, I'm go sorry. here. I should have done more research about this. No, I just should have done more research about about queer films and in this time. Cause I, cause I just, I, I, I don't know. Cause I just don't know if this was one of the earliest ones, if he was one of the earliest directors making. I mean, I think it's certainly before that in 1971. I mean, oh no, for sure, right? I'm, I'm just wondering about what other sort of notable people were on there. I'm seeing in 19, I'm seeing in December 1971, Boys in the Sand was the first gay porn film to include credits, which was, you know, December 1971, well after this. Very interesting. Sorry, Wizard, you're next to roll, per our uh, order. Uh ha huh, yeah um sorry i was watching some uh, some gay porn credits um uh yeah i uh i had a great time with this movie it is silly and it is wild and it is it is it is chaotic and fun um it is rough and it is definitely not like it is not accessible for everybody. Certainly, um, there is some stuff in here that is going to that is going to upset and appall. However, I love to be upset and appalled. Um, so uh, I think I think I'm going to give it a 17 as well. I'm going to roll with Angela on this one. Um, yeah, it, it's it's cool and it's fun and it's so crazy how 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 thoroughly how thoroughly modern and how thoroughly like how sharp like how sharp the satire of this movie is given that it is like satirizing events like as it happens around it like this is talking about like the death of the 60s as the 60s -hmm. is like actively dying around uh around it and you know it is so like sharp and so like on point that it really does i think it feels so modern because our whole like modern attitude kind of revolves around the death of the 60s and like the betrayal of those of those ideals um it's sharp and it's cynical and it's it's uh it's fun it's a 17 peter uh boy (laughs) i don't know i i'm all right, I'm looking at, in 1970, there was a movie called Boys in the Band, which was directed by William Friedkin, who made The Exorcist and who made uh, French Connection. Uh, and it is among the first major motion picture to evolve around gay characters and is also cited as a milestone in the history of queer cinema, according to Wikipedia. Um, sorry, just just for your all's knowledge, I, I really should have done more research <laughs> into this before uh, this conversation because I found it fascinating. I uh, think I'm going to go with a 12 um because i was 11 i was a solid 11 before this conversation and i think i enjoyed more about it than i disliked and i and even though it didn't hit me as hard as i wanted it to i think i'm still left like craving it to hit me hard and i i kind of like am still trying to find uh i, I still found it very endearing to the point where i'm, I'm trying to convince myself <laughs> that i had a better time watching it than i actually did uh which is a good sign in a weird way okay. i'm gonna go 12. Corey, what about you? What um, are you doing? Yeah, I think it was uh, a tour de force, uh, except for the times when it wasn't. Um, I think that there's a lot of like <laughs> middling stuff in there that uh, could have been cut, trimmed, or whatever. I mean, obviously, it has to do with their time and their production values and their money and all that stuff that they had at the time. Uh, I'm feeling 15 for it. That's kind of where I'm feeling. Uh, kind of in the in the middle of the good side of the scales. Yeah. 
Wow. All right. Well, that's our scoring. Um, please uh, stick around later. We are going to be talking about what else we're watching. Uh, however, if you would like to talk with us, if you have anything you would like to you know, request or react to or whatever, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can email us at critclubpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter and reach out to us there at Crit Club Cast. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let yeah, us know love... what you think. Who was right? And who was <laughs> we'd wrong. love to hear from people. Yep. Who deserves to be punished? Things. Yeah. Were you offended by this movie? Did you think it? Did you think it was terrible? Would you like to be Peter's unpaid re- research assistant or my unpaid yes, research assistant? I'm looking for, I can pay you nothing and I cannot offer you class credit. Uh, I can only maybe offer you a good recommendation. Yes, you tell us your uh, John Waters misconnection <laughs> story. <laughs> or maybe yeah. you've met John Waters and uh, and you have something exciting yeah. to say about him. Maybe uh, you are John Waters. John, yeah. if you're listening, yeah, we, you we would be John thrilled Waters. to talk. <laughs> if you're just yeah, we refreshing... Really if you're just refreshing Google over and over again, uh, mm-hmm. looking for references to your name, like uh, Zuckerberg at the end of that movie everybody liked for a bit. Yeah, and I'll, I'll see out. you at whatever they renamed Burger Boogaloo, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We really should have just uh, uh, called this the John Waters hotline and the John Waters email address. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to uh, the last segment where we talk about the other media that we are consuming well, should we talk about? What oh yeah, sorry, next? sorry, sorry about that. So, Peter, yours? no, yeah, it's my pick. Uh, I'm feeling a little torn. I don't. I'm actually feeling some regret, but whatever. I think this is fine. Uh, since uh, we're coming into the holiday season and things are going to get light, uh, we decided. I guess I decided uh, to do. Uh, and now for something yeah. completely. I different. feel like this is going to be whiplash. I think it's the it's phrase, gonna... right? Yeah. And I, I also that was kind of the reason I picked it is because I feel like we've been doing some real uh, surrealist, gritty, uh, you know, ponderous. We've been doing some it's, very ponderous. It's just because me and Wizard have been stuff. picking. <laughs> it, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're the hell. Yeah, like if you lay us all out in a line, chrono, like we, we're the weird section. <laughs> no, I fuck you. I I picked Vagabond. I started us on Agnes Angela. P- Angela picked that's the true. Lure. That's true. Angela yeah. picked a yeah. Uh, yeah. a Polish mermaid murder opera. I think we've all exhibited some some aberration. Good point. I in take taste. Good. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're all, you're all trash. I take it no. back. <laughs> exactly for sure. I feel like if I feel like if uh, if anything, the conversation we just had around multiple maniacs means that none of us are fucking squares. That's pretty true. Yeah, yeah. Eat it, squares. But and now for something completely dif- different. Uh, as we go into the holiday season and the end of this terrible year, why not we lighten things up a bit with a 1938 romantic comedy starring Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn? <sighs> That's right. It's uh, what. Oh, I'm this is going to be so really hard for me to watch. Um, I'm into it. it for Angela, oh, too. Angela it. seemed excited about it. I think it sounds light and stupid and fun, and I don't know enough about 1930s no. films. I don't know I don't... about anything. I needed some lightness. Lightness, please. We've been watching a lot of Yes, for stuff. sure. I'm very happy. So What's a 1930s yes. movie uh, I so might this have from... seen? I can't even... Uh, it Happened One no. Night? Is that 1930s? The Great Dictator? Oh, yeah. Great I mean, I've seen yeah, some Chaplin. Seen any, okay, uh, I've seen Great Dictator. Okay. You seen any uh, Marx Brothers? I've never seen a Marx Brothers movie. I should fix that. I know. Oh, man. I should really fix that. They're so good. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I disagree. I don't... 
I know you well enough to disagree with your opinion on uh, sure. 1930s movies. There's a lot of trash, <laughs> but there's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, Duck Soup, Night at the Opera, all these things came out. Yeah, these are great. Uh, so, okay, from Wikipedia, which I should find another source, <laughs> but I trust Wikipedia. This film is a romantic comedy that tells of a man who has risen from humble beginnings only to be turned, only to be torn between his free-thinking lifestyle and the tradition of his wealthy fiance's family. It's adapted by whatever. Uh, it is a, uh, it's a, from a 1928 play by Philip Barry, and I found this very interesting, that it's also a remake. It's a reboot from a 1930 version. So they made Holiday in 1930, and then eight years wow, later... Wow, this is something that has been plaguing Hollywood for a very long time. <laughs> there exactly. are no new I, stories to tell. Nothing new under the sun. Uh, and, and certainly not this 1938 version of Holiday, starring Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. So won't you come with us as you celebrate your own holiday and take a trip back into the Gilded Era while we look at these two white heteronormative people make eyes at each other and... Probably not do much more than that. It's going to be snappy. And it's going to be a nice a New England accent from Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That received pronunciation, holiday. darling. Yes, it's for my holiday. I think I want to try to liven this up, and I want to try to find some like really interesting... Uh, I'm going to do some research on this and try to find ways to, that we can have a good conversation about this. Um, whatever. Okay. Yeah, watch it with us. Holiday with Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn. Sounds Next good. week. So, uh, do we want to go in reverse rating order to talk about what else we're watching? So that that be that be no that <laughs> yeah, be you. I, go I was gonna it. say that be you, Peter. I guess you're right. That would be me, but I don't want to go first. Go for it, Corey. All right, I'll go first. Fine. Uh, I do want to make one correction. Um, last week, I was talking about a cat movie that I watched on Hulu, and I think I called it a very pretty <laughs> Christmas. It was very, that was not the title. It is a very kiddie cocktail party, so I just wanted to make that one correction. Um, one movie that I did... The emails oh, we God, got I'm about so that. so sorry, everyone. Um, uh, the one movie I did want to talk about is also something I saw on Hulu. Uh, it is Seven Stages to Achieve Eternal Bliss. Has anyone watched this? Uh, it came out came out in 2018. I think I've experienced uh, that. Sto- is this like the sequel? No, but it is about cults, and that's what drew me to it because I love cults. Uh, but it's a comedy, and it stars me Kate uh, Kate Micucci from Garfunkel and Oates. And it also has, like, Dan Harmon in an acting role, which he doesn't do very often. Dan Harmon of, like, Rick and Morty and Community creator. Uh, and he's actually, like, pretty good in it. Like, he looks terrible, looks very unhealthy. Uh, but he's, you know, pretty good as this, like, bumbling detective or whatever. And um, it also stars, like, this cavalcade of, like, various, like, comedians and stuff like maria bamford and um chris Pos- uh, uh, brian posein as like various cult members throughout the movie um i will sp- oh and the the leader of the cult is played by uh i'm gonna mess his name up uh taka Wiatiki the the guy from jojo rabbit and what we do in the shadows yeah oh Waititi. yeah oh, Taika Taika Waititi. Waititi. <laughs> oh god i love that man. He, so he, he's the uh cult leader and i'll spoil it because it's all spoiled in the first five minutes i'll just say the setup it's about uh, a couple who moves into an apartment in la where it used to be this cult leader's place uh and he you know ran this cult and then he committed suicide in his bathtub and now this bathtub has become this holy mecca for all the cult leaders or all the cult members who also break into their apartment and kill themselves in their bathtub so they just have to live with this bathtub that has this like constant revolving door of cult members coming in trying to kill themselves in their bathtub and it was pretty good 
I enjoyed it. I'm into. I'm <laughs> what was here it called for again? Uh, seven it stages again? to achieve eternal bliss. Uh, it's not brilliant, but I, I quite enjoyed watching it. All right, Peter, I'll what are you watching? I got two quick things. I was only going to talk about one, but this discussion reminded me of something else I should bring up. Uh, first, uh, I watched the most recent season of Pen15, which I watched I don't know two episodes, anybody, didn't get into it. it. Should I stick with it? Never heard of it. Or, or is that kind of how it is? Middle school was uh, horrifying enough the first yeah. time. <laughs> you don't, yeah, is that is that your reaction to, to the show, Angela? Um, yeah, I want to like it, but like I, I can't. I'm just so uncomfortable as it is right now. You don't like cringe stuff, though, watching right? Watching the dis- yeah. cringe is not my, my thing. And I don't really think it's too cringe. I think, okay, sorry, Chris, to back up. So uh, for your information, it is a show. It's a Hulu show where uh, two uh, women, I'm sorry, it's created by Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle, uh, who are 30-something-year-old women who uh, play uh 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds and middle school, they they play the characters as 13 or 14-year-old girls uh entering 7th and 8th grade uh, okay. and the whole while all of the other actors are uh age appropriate uh young boys and girls from that and it's it's a it's a comedy drama. It's a comedy, but there's some dr- dramatic elements to it and it's, you know, the whole premise is these two women are playing uh you know younger versions of themselves and the whole thing is exploring uh girls going through middle school uh and the first yeah oh uh yeah yeah the the it's great it's wonderful the first season i feel like tonally it didn't catch me i feel like i i really enjoyed it and i really enjoyed that it was happening uh and that tonally it, it didn't really hook me all that much but the second season was lovely really lovely like i don't think it's great amazing must watch television but i really enjoyed it and i'm really glad that i watched the second season and i think it's uh i don't know it's great yeah it's totally great uh the second thing i'd love to to bring up is nate a one-man show have you all heard of this nate a one-man show natalie palomines's uh it is it just it just came out on netflix i think i'd heard about it because she's a comedian natalie palomines she's a comedian who is kind of doing this show for a couple years uh, and it just sort of uh, was filmed and then came out on Netflix uh, earlier this month or maybe late last month. And it's it's a one-man show, as it's billed, where Natalie Palomides, she is playing a man named Nate and the whole, and I'll even say a couple other characters, uh, and the whole thing is sort of a, it's a comedy show, but there's a lot of, frank purposefully uncomfortable conversations around consent and there's a lot of just uh exploration of toxic masculinity it's really delightful really surprising at times and really valuable stuff really enjoyed natalie palomides's right. a one-man show chris what are you watching damn um, I want to shout out uh, the uh, the Hulu horror we're all film. Hulu. Um, <laughs> we're all well, we'll see. I don't in Canada we don't get Hulu, so I have to uh, I have to get it uh, streamed to me uh-huh. by parties unknown. <laughs> um, but I want to give a shout out to the uh, to the Hulu uh, the Hulu horror film directed by Justin Simeon, the director of Dear White People, uh, called Bad Hair. Um, 
really really excellent uh piece of horror has anybody anybody <laughs> seen this one yeah i saw it i did peter not like saw it. it peter did not like it i thought it was pretty enjoyable um i thought i had uh, like a great time with this like this evil hair uh this evil sorry this evil weave tail um yeah a quick summary it's a story it's a horror film that takes place at a at a, a like a black owned uh television station like a sort of proto mtv um and uh, our lead character uh, has uh, like natural afro textured hair uh, which her uh, evil boss played by the fantastic vanessa williams uh, suggests might be limiting her uh, ability to get ahead and recommends that she go get uh, a weave of like white textured hair um but there's something wrong with the weave <laughs> and there's something wrong with her boss I'm like, and there's something more. wrong with white people and it's it's a it was a really really enjoyable enjoyable movie there were some there were some genuinely disturbing uh genuinely genuinely disturbing moments involving uh hair and uh and the drinking of bodily fluids um and i think it was like you know it's one of those movies that struggles a little bit with tone like is it funny or is it scary or what's going on here but there are some really enjoyable moments and i strongly recommend that people uh, check it out bad hair justin simeon really fun how about you angela well first i have a question to myself that i want answered i don't know how it will but i'm if it's not going to get answered if i don't put it out there and i want to know what does john waters watch on Mm. youtube I, just I like, bet you we can find that there's answer. There's got to be some makeup cool. tutorials. <laughs> makeup tutorials. That leave Britney alone video, like just <laughs> over and over and over. That's that's a John Water. That's inspired by John Waters, surely. I need to find like John Waters' YouTube channel. I'm gonna go look that up later. But what I have been watching, um, unfortunately, um, is uh, it's been a, it was a nice rainy weekend here in the Bay Area, and we don't get those often. Uh, it gets nice and cozy. It was just delightful. And so, of course, I was thrilled to see that I could watch The Spanish Princess, which was stars uh, another period costume drama about um, Queen Catherine of Aragon, um, who went on to marry Henry VIII. Um, It takes a lot of liberties. I I cannot, even though I'm realizing that my enjoyment of these films is, is very much about colonialism, um, and being a privileged white person, I still can't stop watching them. And there's maybe some dissection I need to do there. Um, it wasn't amazing, but it did serve my purposes, which was like I needed to be inside, comforted, and um, distracted for a whole weekend. Um, and I was it because I'm also I'm I'm a pretty obsessed knitter, and it is holiday season, and it is time to get all of the knitting done by a certain date so they can be ready for Christmas. And so long television shows allow you to do these things without um, much disruption. So I watched that. Um, they, apparently they have another season coming up. I do not know if I will keep watching it. And none of the people here in this podcast has any interest whatsoever in it. Um, I'll watch it. I like no, hearing no, about no. it. I'll, uh, I'll yeah. watch the shit out of some lavish period drama. <laughs> I know I you won't. But I'll, I'll listen, but I'll hear I it. Like listening I love to it, yeah. listening about it. It was fun yeah, to look at. I just like costumes and pretty people. Um, and actually, yes. they did do a good job. They did. Um, there has been an effort in costume dramas in the last couple of years to incorporate more people, like black people and Asian people, in this 
drama is is the same. Um, I don't I don't have a huge opinion about how well they do that because I'm not sure. Uh, I'm I'm really able to to um, uh, identify that. Like I'd be interested to hear. Um, but apparently they have another season. Um, and so I just, I love historical fiction. It's my, one of my favorite things in the whole world. So that was fun to watch. Um, I also watched Indiscreet, which is another movie on the Criterion channel, uh, with Cary Grant and, um, Ingrid Bergman. And so that's why I am thrilled that, uh, Peter has chosen another Cary Grant movie. Um, this, uh, Indiscreet is super light and fluffy, but it's, it's a romantic comedy, but you kind of see some of the toxic tendencies surrounding uh, the genre um, in, you know, there's a bit of toxic manipulation on the part of one of the characters, like, and there's this inability for people to just speak clearly and, and simply about who they are and what they want. And so um, that's interesting to watch. And that's why I'm excited to watch Holiday, because I want to see if this is, is this a generational thing? Um and I'm, I'm just super curious about that. Do you know that, you know that, uh, that Jane Lynch meme that's been around for, for like, you can't miss it over the past, past like two or three months of I'm going to create an environment that's so toxic. Yes. You know that meme. Yeah. Uh, I've seen one a couple times now where it's Shakespeare writing his plays and the, the words are, I'm going to create a misunderstanding that is so easy to resolve. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just what you reminded me of with uh with indiscreet which i suspect will probably happen with holiday as well well i mean the same thing with seinfeld now i can't i i loved seinfeld in the 90s i want to watch it again but like i spend the whole time going if only these people could text each other yeah if only these people could take a picture of where their car is in the parking lot um <laughs> yeah so um, what was the what was the name of the first thing you was the first of the the, the Spanish princess what was Spanish it princess so so stars has done like this whole series of like English history romantic dramas like going back to the War of the Roses and they just keep going down like I'm sure eventually I mean they did already have the Tudors um, way back when so who knows if they'll skip to the other descendants of the royal family but. Um, I don't know. I'm a sucker for that stuff. I can't stop. Hereditary monarchies are super sexy when you like add like good dentistry and bathing <laughs> and true. all of the yeah. you know <laughs> you gloss over how related all these people actually are. Um, yeah, sexy stuff, <laughs> sexy times, sexy fantasies. I mean, really, it's fantasy, yeah. but w- without the pointy ears and the elves. Love it. Uh, love it. Here for it. All right. Well, uh, thank you all. I think that brings us here to the close. I want to thank my friends for joining us. Uh, once again, uh, reach, reach out to us on email, uh, critclubpodcast at gmail, or Twitter, uh, critclubcast. Uh, otherwise, we will. And also, if I can say, please uh, leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. And seriously, please stop emailing us about a kitty cocktail yeah. party. Corey has corrected it, and we really just. Don't I wrote it 400 more. times uh, on the chalkboard. I got it. I got it now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you all, and we will see you next time for a holiday, 1938. It's going to be festive. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.